Welcome to Darts in the Dark podcast. We talk about branding, marketing, communication, and sustainability. And through our conversations with leading voices throughout business and culture, we help shed light on how to move your audience to take meaningful action for your business and the planet. Welcome to Darts in the Dark. My name is Casey Hogue. A big part of running a branding and marketing firm focused on social and environmental impact is evaluating who we work with. I get asked a lot about what types of clients and projects we will or will not take on. And yeah, Serotonin Creative Consultancy won't just work on any job that doesn't have some true impact component to it. A few ways we stick to that is through organizations like 1% for the Planet, B Corp, which we're in the process of getting certified, and the Clean Creatives Pledge, which we took a while ago. Because ultimately, sustainability is about our clients, organizations, and the people we do business with, not just what we do internally. As creatives and leaders of agencies, the Clean Creatives Pledge says that you will decline contracts specifically from the fossil fuel industry. We are at a watershed moment for climate activism in marketing and advertising. Today on the show is Duncan Meisel, who is the executive director of Clean Creatives, which is a campaign to end the advertising and PR industry's work with fossil fuels. As communicators, continuing to work for fossil fuel companies poses risks to agencies' reputation, recruitment, and retention. Sustainable brands need clean agencies in order to grow. Named as one of Adweek's sustainability leaders and campaign's top 10 trailblazers of 2022, Duncan is bringing together leading agencies, creatives, and clients to end their support for the fossil fuel industry's misinformation campaigns. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Duncan Meisel. I started Clean Creatives in 2020, and my background is in working for climate NGOs, doing digital communications for global campaigns to stop pipelines, to divest from fossil fuels, to pass the Paris Climate Agreement, things like that. And when you do those campaigns, what you find is that whenever you want to do something good, there's very well-run and well-financed campaigns out there from PR and advertising companies to say, actually, let's do something bad instead. (laughs) And that those campaigns are very effective. They work. And when in 2020, I was looking at ads with my colleague, Jamie Henn, at, they were run by the American Petroleum Institute in the context of the 2020 election. And we, we had this idea, which is like, all right, let's figure out who made this ad and make them feel really bad about themselves. So it was going to be a one-off. And what we found was actually it was an agency that works here in Austin, Texas, where I live. And if you know Austin, you've been here for any of our lovely festivities. Uh, you know, it's a pretty progressive place. And particularly, I think if you're in the creative industry in Austin, you're probably not that aligned culturally on a values level with Exxon or the American Petroleum Institute. And kind of a light bulb went off. It was like, huh, I wonder if we could get the people who made this to stop doing it. And shortly after that, just because we were on the subject of ads, Jamie came across a video from Philip Morris mm. about the smoke-free future, inverted commas. And the ad was so bad, I actually thought it was a joke. I thought someone was trying to make fun of Philip Morris. And you like started putting two and two together. Like busters. Yes. Like an ad like yes, like like, ad, right? Right. I was like, did I, did the Yes Men make this? Like, <laughs> it was <laughs> right. so bad. Right. Terrible stock footage, terrible script. And I was like, no one's buying this. But it was real. And you kind of put two and two together. Like, okay, when an industry doesn't have access to really effective creatives and really effective PR strategists, they have a much harder time persuading the public to do the bad things. And I think we could probably get a lot of people in this industry to stop working to support this bad industry because it doesn't align with their values because they don't want to see their kids' future be destroyed by fossil fuels and so on and so forth. So that was sort of the genesis that like this is something that 
could have an enormous impact and that was really doable. And we that's been borne out. It's like just when we start talking to people in the creative industry of any kind, they're like, actually, yeah, I really don't like doing this. And we just found that it was on the tip of everybody's tongue. I've had a few conversations recently about people voting with their talent. And I think that on the spectrum of efficacy, right? If we talk about even going back to like the British Petroleum campaign that started the whole carbon footprint narrative, right? And it's on us as individuals and consumers to solve the climate crisis. Meanwhile, all the industry and companies are, it's like throwing a thimble of water on a raging fire, you know, what we can do. But those companies need creative firms and agencies to perpetuate those narratives. And those agencies and creative design studios need talented folks to work in them and do the work. So there is sort of a top down, bottom up way to affect change. And are you seeing with clean creatives and the pledge, and maybe let's let's get into, you know, clean creatives and, and what you're all about too, but are you seeing people sort of voting with their talent? I mean, is that is that sort of a big component of it? Yeah, that, that's one part of it. I, I think it's really important to not just lean on individuals to solve this, right? I think everybody has a voice in this and, and you saying, I'm not going to work on these clients has a really enormous impact. It's very meaningful and I don't want to downplay that at all. But I think it really has to also be a decision by agency leaders in particular. Yeah. Because if you just leave it up to the individuals, what you're going to have is the people with rank, whether because of race or class or gender or whatever else, are going to be able comfortable opting out. And you're just going to leave the bad work on the people who don't have rank, who don't have the sort of like flexibility to say no. Right. And I don't think that's a very effective way to run an agency. I don't think that's good for the people on your team. But if you do make that decision, if you do say, actually, we're not going to do this as an organization, then you are setting the tone for we have a real purpose in mind here. We are creating for a reason. We're not just asking you to show up and go home. You're setting the tone in a way that I think could be really productive at building a positive internal culture, in addition to not contributing to helping the companies that do more to destroy the planet than anyone on Earth. So, you know, it's a double edge, double right. benefit there. But I, I think it really does have to be something that agencies take on wholeheartedly and yeah, vote with your you know, talent. And that is really meaningful. And this sort of interesting anecdote we come across around like, huh, suddenly Exxon is having to charge a lot more for their freelance rates or, you know, just little things like that, which where they sort of start to see the squeeze and you can kind of see that it's causing them a little bit of hurt. But yeah, I, I would really love to see this be something that agency leaders and bodies take on in earnest. I think that from a creative agency standpoint to kind of, this is how I think about it. Your client roster is part of your brand and who you work with reflects on the work that you do. It's a, it's a reflection of the work that you do. And so if you're working with clients and projects that are destructive to the, to the planet, let's just say it, you're, you're part of the problem. You're, you're helping amplify these, these narratives and these voices that are, you know, definitely extractive and not helping. So it's kind of how I view it is like, you know, that's, it's part of your brand and who you work with and who you associate with is a big part of that. I think that's extremely well put. No, I mean, that, I, I'd not ever thought of putting it that way, but that's, you nailed it. Like, that's, that's exactly right. Like, this is an industry made of people who spend their entire time thinking about reputation. You know, like, this is what you offer when you build a brand is you're creating reputation. And like, right. what does it say about your reputation that, you know, you have these clients that you can't talk about on your website, that people won't put on their CVs, right. that, you know, causes backlash internally, that you have to like snoop around and strong arm people into working on. Like, that's not a great look. Like, and, it, and you should in some ways know better because this is your business. 
on one hand, it is business and you need clients to keep the lights on and you need work. And some of those, some of those, you know, bad actors and, you know, companies have big budgets and they pay the bills. But I feel like the agency creative side of things can be a bit of a gatekeeper in terms of mitigating greenwashing and, you know, choosing to work or not work with companies that are doing that stuff. So to tell us about the pledge and dig into clean creatives and, and what it's all about and sort of how that's amplifying that direction, that side of things, right? The main ask we have of agencies, individuals, and also brands is to not work with fossil fuel clients. And we define fossil fuel clients as companies that spend the majority of their capital on expanding fossil fuel projects, or if their utilities, the majority of their generation is in fossil fuels, or trade associations and front groups that represent them. So like American Petroleum Institute, Energy Citizens, there's any number of like front groups there that are fully funded by the fossil fuel companies. So the idea is you don't work with them anymore. And it's very straightforward. And for a brand that you don't work with agencies, that have those connections because those brands are then part of your supply chain and that supply chain is going to be in many ways dirty, that it's going to be supporting the companies that are doing the worst thing on earth that I can imagine. They're destroying the future of the planet and you shouldn't be associated with them. So that's the core of what we're asking people to do. Over 600 agencies have signed the pledge including serotonin. Thank you. Of <laughs> I like to think we're one of the earlier ones. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and it's funny. It's like, you know, I, I talk to people like you who are understand this issue and are smart and, and understand climate. And the thing about it is like, if you're an agency, if you're someone who cares about climate and communicates about climate, you're the people they want to work with most. They're the people, you're the people that they need more than any other to position their company as, you know, a tech company or a green company or whatever else. So right. it may feel like, well, I don't know, I, we're, we're good guys, Why would they, but like, that's the point. You're the good guys. You need to show that there's a line to be drawn there. And, and that's really vital. So you know, the, another way I look at this is, and this sort of gets to what we were saying about voting with your talent, et cetera. Everybody who's in the creative industry says that they are there because they have something unique to offer. That's the reason you have a company with you know your shingle out. And you should be putting that unique offering to good things. Like if you think you actually do have something, some spark, some unique contribution, then every time you take a step away from supporting these companies, you are doing something that no one else can do. And that's really powerful. And, right. I, and I think it's the way I encourage people to think about it. If you're familiar with Scott Galloway, yeah. he, he has a great quote. And it's funny, I've been trying to track it down forever. But he's, you know, he's, he's super brash and he says just stuff off the cuff and I love it. And he was talking about ad agencies and creative, the creative industry. And he's like, you know, one of the biggest tragedies of the century is that all of our greatest creative minds work at ad agencies. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and, oh, right? It's like, oh man. But his point being like, what if we were focusing on doing good and focusing all of that creative energy on positive positive narratives. And it's honestly like that quote was early days. Part of the genesis of serotonin was like, yeah, well, okay, <laughs> like let's, let's, <laughs> let's make that. But, you know, I think that there is some keys to the kingdom in terms of companies need to, to market and advertise. And, you know, if, if more and more agencies take that pledge and stick to their guns on it, it's kind of a full stop in terms of communications, right? On some level, someone is going to take the money, right? Like there's some Yahoo out there in Texas where I live or elsewhere <laughs> who is going to be like, hell yeah, I want to work for Exxon. And that's, that's right. fine. Yeah. The question is like, are you contributing your unique contribution to this? Right. And if we get them, you know, that's that Yahoo is not the A-list talent and they need it. Like the people that are really good at this aren't in that position. And I, I just think that's really important to look at this as like, 
it's not a purity test. It's not like a, we have to stop all of this right now. We have to do everything we can to cut them off from the best talent that allows yeah. them to do the most damage. And, and I, I just think that, look, yeah, someone might take the money, whatever, but they're not going to have your talent. They're not going to have your brilliance. And that matters. Absolutely. What's your take on or your process for greenwashing in terms of like, how do you vet or, or recommend people vetting and surveying clients and projects and, and making ensuring that they are telling, you know, helping helping amplify the right narrative? We take a slightly unconventional approach to this question, which is that communication for fossil fuel companies that doesn't greenwash is still bad. It's really we want to look at them as actors and pieces of an energy system and a you know, carbon system that we need to cut out. You know, you could make an ad for I mean, there are lots of ads for Chevron or Exxon or whatever that aren't greenwashing that are just like, look at how great we are at supporting STEM workers or whatever. And the problem isn't that they're supporting STEM workers. The problem is that 99 percent of their capital expenditure goes to producing more oil and gas. And that's killing us all. Right. And so, you know, we we sort of encourage people to look like, obviously, please don't greenwash. Right. (laughs) Don't do it. (laughs) You can avoid it. And there's lots of good ways to look at that. The main thing that we're asking people to look at is like, what's the substance of this client, of this company? What are they really about? And do we want to be associated with that? And yeah, you know, greenwashing is a fancy word for lying. And like you, Mm. there's some ways in which I think you can overcomplicate the issue by trying to look at it through this lens. You know, is this a lie by omission? Is this a lie of uh, scale or something like that? But fundamentally, I think the most important thing is that we look at the people that are driving the problem and make sure that they don't have access to the ability to influence the public. It's it's such a gray area too, right? I like to say that there there's no such thing as the perfect team and there's no such thing as a perfect company. Yeah. Obviously if if it's a energy company, a petrol company, like their purpose is pretty bad. So yeah. like that's pretty easy to <laughs> like, oh cool, they have a DEI program. Like that's okay, but like that has not really <laughs> right. That's not benefit to, to anybody. But it you know, there are it's a gradiated scale, you know, I think with a lot of companies. Like, are we helping tell, you know, a good story or a good campaign that is beneficial and then but then do we ignore other business practices that they're you know that they're working on it's tough the agencies and and people in this industry make choices about who to work with all the time like i'm sure there's stuff that you've prioritized or deprioritized based on this isn't a great fit or whatever right we're all making those decisions in one way or another and the real risk is that you don't have a line the real risk is that you say i'll work with anybody right you know there's this classic saying about like Unless you you say that you won't allow Nazis into your bar, you're going to be known as the Nazi bar. And <laughs> right. so you need to kind of have a line here or else you'll end up working on anything and you'll be, end up working with the people that are doing the most harm. Like everybody has a line. Make sure you maintain it. We think this is the right line to draw because there's a clear and present danger presented by their business models. I mean, they yeah. declared to investors and regulators and banks that they plan to destroy the planet, that they plan to draw more carbon and oil than we can afford. And like that is an extremely straightforward line. And we all have lines. And please include yourself on the right side of that one. (laughs) It's like not only are they Nazis, they've got the full uniform on and they're doing that. Wow. That's I've never heard that before. The Nazi bar. I love that. Well, it was was said in reference to a certain social media app, but uh, that makes sense. Yeah. Well, we know who's running a Nazi bar. Oh, (laughs) it hurts me. (laughs) So with clean creatives, how are you engaging with agencies and with creatives and talent? Do you want to talk about that of how you're engaging with your audience? 
Yeah, all of this is just a series of conversations. Like it's, you know, we talk to people either in a podcast like this or one on one, and we invite them in to kind of give them the tools that they need to make start a conversation about this. And our thinking about this is that more is more. That anytime anyone has a chance to kind of peel back the layers on this and crack this issue open, they will be able to see the real risks and be able to start making better decisions about how they're going to choose clients and build their company. So we encourage people to raise this, even if you're not sure that you can get a commitment right away, even if you're sure that a lot of people maybe disagree with it. But every time you bring it up, you give people a chance to reconsider and to think about the problematic issues of these clients. And that's good. We want more of that. So we're pretty flexible in that regard and just invite people to, to begin talking. And we've talked with enough people now. We have a really good set of resources about how you can work within your company, how you can have you know, a lunch and learn, a meetup, whatever, and really get the ball rolling in a serious way. And that that is that I think is very valuable. So yeah, we, we kind of want to meet with everybody. We want everybody to have a say in this. And you know, we, we think we have great data about why our position is right. But like if you have disagree, like I'll talk to you about that too. And we're actually going to the Cannes Festival of Creativity in a few weeks. And we're hosting what's called the Next Level Climate Summit, which is a beat up of us and a couple other organizations that we think have really ambitious ideas on climate. Purpose Disruptors is one of them, Creatives for Climate, Scope 3, a few others. And you know, these are this is a, a way to start looking about looking at climate within the creative industry as a leadership opportunity, not just let's clean up our footprint, not just let's reduce, you know, spending on production shoots or whatever, but Let's actually think about how we can be a creative, transformative force, change minds, shift culture, transform industries. That's what we want this industry to be thinking about. We think we have one set of tools at Clean Creatives that's really valuable, but there are lots of other ways to slice it. And we kind of want to present agencies and brands with a chance to connect with a wide range of leaders and build essentially a comprehensive strategy, how you can relate to, to climate and sustainability. And this is you know, the Clean Creatives Pledge, not working with fossil fuel companies is an absolutely vital part of that. If you don't fix that part of the problem, a lot of the other work that you're going to be doing is going to be kind of lost in the wash. But if you do fix that, it's also a platform and a starting place for a lot of other conversations. And so... We're trying to build that spectrum, that co uh, coalition uh, approach. That's exciting. So that event, I would love to go to that. That sounds super fun. <laughs> so you started Clean Creatives in 2020, you said, right? So yeah. it sounds like you've got some good momentum. Talk me through a few of the big wins and what progress have you seen over the past three years? I would describe it as a lot of anecdata. I think we have a lot of points of information that make it seem like there might be some real change that could be quite close, which is good because we are in a very urgent moment for the climate. We actually have to fix this right now. We are in the last decade where this is actionable. You know, there's a couple examples where you can see, you know, people sort of saying like, yeah, we're actually not pitching on that anymore, just like back channel type of things. But also one of the more interesting data points was Edelman, which is the world's largest PR firm and associated with more, P more fossil fuel companies than any other agency on earth. But at the same time, they also were dropped by a client in South Africa that is trying to build an oil pipeline through East Africa. It's called ECOP, the East Africa Crude Oil Pipeline. And Edelman said that they didn't want to work on that project anymore. And so they had to leave that work. That's a really interesting point of data for me because Edelman's been very resistant to the different pressure that's been on them for decades now around this issue. But it's clearly starting to sink in that they have to make choices. And it shows that there's at least another layer of scrutiny that's being applied to these decisions. 
is it the right level of scrutiny? Probably not. There needs to be more. And there's still a lot of, you know, foxes guarding hen houses there. But I think that that example and, you know, we launch every September, we have a report we release called the F list, which is the list of all the known relationships that we have between fossil fuel companies and their agencies. And when we launched ours in last year, the, the latest edition in 2022, a lot of people got in touch and said, actually, we don't do that anymore. Uh, that was, I think, a really encouraging sign, even in places where they're maybe not signing the pledge yet. It shows that there is friction being added. And, you know, I, I hope that with more conversations like this, with people coming forward about it, we're beginning to make it safe and obvious that this is something that people need to talk about. And really, that's the contribution you make when you bring this up. You make it safer for the next person and the next person and the next person to begin to make it a thing that they can solve. I think the biggest surprises for me have actually kind of been in the reverse, like where you come across companies that you know, do big campaigns for the UN climate talks or are really involved in like industry efforts to address greenwashing and align with climate. And then you're like, I see this page on your website that says you work with Shell. Like what's with that? Like that doesn't fit. That that I find as surprising as anything else. It's like, what's 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 missing here in this conversation? Like why why did this not click for you and how can I help get it to click? I, I think that the real development is going to be in aligning the different issues that agencies have focused on over the past years around gender, DEI, sustainability, I think we're going to see those start to converge. And I think you're going to start to see the connections between them, that the people affected by fossil fuel pollution are people of color, primarily. The people affected by climate change, primarily people of color. And if you want to integrate equity into your business model, you can't be part of this deeply unequal project. All these things have to do with employee wellness and building a better you know, talent pool and building a, a thriving industry that people want to work in, where you know, maybe that Scott Galloway quote is a little less depressing. People are like, I don't know, I'm in the ad industry, but like, we're mostly doing okay. <laughs> That's sort of the place that I hope we get to. And you know, the, the climate crisis is the talent crisis. This is where, yet, like 2019, there were people in high school and college that were marching in the world's biggest, one of the world's biggest coordinated days of protest ever of any kind. Those people are entering the workforce now. They're looking for their first jobs. What is your actual value proposition to them? So I, I think that you're going to see the industry align itself to meet the needs of younger people in a better way. And I think it'll come by like merging all these streams and seeing the connections between them. And once you do, you'll have a lot better workplace and a lot happier workplace. <laughs> and, and on some level, like work is work, right? Like there's not every client is going to be a deep passion project and that's okay, right? Tequila companies or whatever, they need agencies, right? Because they have an interesting product and they got to distinguish themselves from other tequila and that's fine. You know, there's better and worse ways to make tequila, but at its, at its core, it's not destructive. Depends on your take on tequila. Some people have had destructive experiences, I expect, but whatever. It, like, not every client needs to be a passion project, but you do need to have principles. Do you need to have guardrails if you're going to have passion in your workplace, passion for your agency and passion for your team? So I don't know. I, I'm very sympathetic to people who run an agency. It's a hard job. You know, it's it's a constant treadmill. You always have to worry about you know will there be enough new client work to to keep the gears turning, and that's that's hard. That will take a toll on you. And I I just want to be able to approach this issue of climate change and present it in a way that makes it feel actionable and that gets gets started in the strongest place possible. Because if you miss the ball here, if you're just like, oh, no, we're going to have recycled materials or we're just going to have reusable cups or whatever, that's missing the boat. That's actually not doing enough for to feel meaningful. And when people are asked to do bullshit, their interest actually goes down and their excitement goes down rather than up. And we want to present things, something that feels doable, that feels exciting, that feels meaningful 
And that's part of a movement. That's part of like a huge number of people that are taking this on that you can feel proud of. And, and that's really the goal rather than small steps that end up feeling empty. I, I truly am thankful every single day for the work I do. I, I do like have pinched myself moments where I'm like, oh, I get to do something I'm really good at that I'm really excited about that I think is meaningful. And I need to give credit to my to my actual employer, Fossil Free Media, which is the fiscal home for Clean Creatives, which is a nonprofit media lab designed to run and, and support campaigns that you know undermine the power of the fossil fuel industry. And you know, it's it's founded by Jamie Hen, my colleague I mentioned, who also co-founded 350.org, which is a global campaign against climate change where I worked for many years. And yeah, we it's just really nice to have a, a square focus on what impact can we make and to do it in a way that feels innovative and interesting and kind of new. I feel really good about the, the path I'm on and, and the chance I've had to meet with people who I think are doing really meaningful things. And it's just been a story of one thing led to another <laughs> in the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like I, there's no magic. It's just sort of like I followed one thread. It led to another thread and that thread was connected to something else. And it's a blessing. And I, I do my best to try to open doors for other people and, and to bring friends in. So it wasn't like a epiphany moment where you're like, I'm done working on fossil fuel company, you know, clients. Yeah. I'm out. I'm starting my own thing. This, yeah, it was but no. it was sort of an organic progression then. I've always been focused on comms and I've done a lot of run a lot of ads in my life, but it's always been in the focus of climate NGOs and, oh, okay. and nonprofit yeah. campaign work, sometimes candidates, sometimes other things like that. But yeah. this, this has been my domain. And that's part of what makes it so exciting is I do get to meet people who are in an industry that is really good at what it does and really effective. And so, yeah, I, I think about that a lot as, as well. So I take it you're surrounded by people sort of on the forefront affecting positive change and impact. What keeps you out of the climate anxiety treadmill? Well, <laughs> I have the word begin tattooed on my arm. And it sort of like uh, summarizes my theory about this. You know, when, when I worked at 350, I got to work with Bill McKibben, who's been writing about this since the 80s. And I remember asking him at one point, I was like, Bill, how do you stay motivated? How do you stay focused on this? Yeah. And he's like, what are you going to do? Give up? <laughs> I was like, well, no, yeah. <laughs> I'm not, I guess. And, you know, I, I just think that what a blessing to be able to do something that's really meaningful. Like what a blessing to be involved in one of the most important historical moments that we're ever going to have as a species. Like what a blessing to uh, be able to connect with other people who also care about it. And, and that's really, I think how you have to look at it is like, it is a really beautiful opportunity. And, and I think if you look at it from that space of plenty, that if I start this, I'm going to find more people who care. I'm going to be less alone. Then the anxiety melts away pretty quickly is my experience at least. I think I have a similar take on it where working with people constantly affecting change and on the forefront of carbon sequestration or, you know, biomanufacturing and all this cool stuff. And I, I see people talk about climate anxiety and I'm like, I don't know, man, I just I guess I'm, I'm in this weird bubble where I'm just around people all the time doing good things that are really smart. <laughs> yeah. People are right to worry. Right. Well, that, that's the thing. That, they say it's a bubble, right? Like it's, <laughs> you know, it's a very weird bubble yeah. to be in because there's a lot going on. But, you know, I, I think a lot of people approach climate communications from the framework of like, we need to provide people hope or we need mm. to create fear. And the really answer mm. is you need to do both. You need to have enough worry, but you need to have enough right. action. Or actually, I think it is like worry is an appropriate balance between fear huh. and solutions, fear and hope. They're like it's fear of not doing something that, you know, you could do that could be successful and could work. That like worry is kind of where you want to be. So you're worrying about something. It's like, God, I need to do that. <laughs> and and that's the place where I think we want people yeah, to get on. It's climate. fired up and concerned, but still passionate and moving forward. 
Yeah, and, and the the solutions are in proportion to the problems, and this kind of gets to what we were talking about about you know cups right. in the office and stuff like that. Like if you're offering people solutions that don't feel like they measure up to yes. the problem, you're kind of more depressing. Not hitting the target there. Yeah. 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 We just had a at uh, San Francisco Climate Week, and the topic of dystopian and utopian narratives came up, and mm-hmm. kind of going to what you were just saying, like there's a lot of dystopian storylines and campaigns and narratives floating around. And we don't really have a lot of the the optimistic utopian slant on things. There used to be utopian TV shows and, you, you know, utopian books. And, and I'm thinking about like, you know, Star Trek and, you know, there's so many fun shows from the 70s that, you know, showed sort of a brighter future and a brighter tomorrow, focusing on what the future could be like in the 1950s and kind of have been lacking that, I think, these days. Are you tracking that? Are you noticing the same things or are you seeing maybe something different? I think dystopia is had a, this is like more work to do on the dystopia front because we've caught up so far. It's like, I don't know, we've got to invent new ones because all the old ones right. are true now. They're more like documentaries. You know, now. It's <laughs> funny. I was, yeah. The day after tomorrow is like the, scary. The thing about climate solutions as a future is that they're very approachable. They're very human. And, and there's this uh, the great group Purpose Disruptors that has a project called Good mm-hmm. Life 2030. And it's really about getting people to imagine, like, what's it like if we win? And, and everything, like we are aligning our lives and our work with climate action. And it means more time in nature, more time with your friends, less, less time, you know, spent in big box stores. And like, who doesn't want that? <laughs> you know, like who, that is really appealing yeah. future. And, and, and people are excited about climate solutions. You ask them, are you excited about solar power? Are you excited about wind turbines? Are you excited about, you know, a self-sustaining battery system or, you know, having a garden? Like people love that shit. And so I think part of the job of the future is just making it, bringing it down to earth, making it feel very cozy and friendly. I was browsing Reddit last night. There was a front page post about a game that's in development. It's like some indie developer. It's called Solar Punk. And it's like sort of an Animal Crossing type game, but it's all about using solar energy and wind and like having, tending your little garden. And it's all these technologies that are really available that aren't science fiction, that aren't utopian. And I don't know, it's something very appealing about just giving people a chance to live within that. So this is my unsolicited plug for a game you can find on Kickstarter. Yeah. This seems really nice. I've, I've heard that actually. <laughs> Solar Punk came up in our conversation. And, you know, it's, it's funny because there's a spectrum of we need to envision and be able to understand what the other side of climate change can look like. We need to see that. We need to visualize yeah. it. We need to picture it. But on the other hand, are we ready to be all kumbaya and like come together about it as well? And that was part of that conversation. I'm actually reading a book called A Psalm for the Wild Built, which is hmm. kind of a solar punk narrative. And it's interesting. It's a good book. I'm definitely, I'm, I'm into it. But there's just parts where it, it just feels a little too kumbaya. Like everyone, like we've solved it and we're living in harmony with nature. And there's a part where they talk about, oh, and then, you know, I was pulling out my pocket computer to like connect with the, the, like they wouldn't say cell phone and they wouldn't say internet, but it was like these weird descriptions yeah. of those things. And it was like, ah, oh, it's, it's, it seems a little phony, but there's nuggets of it that I feel are, are beneficial. And so it's just, it's, it's, a, it's a tough thing to navigate. The dystopians are so, I don't want to say fun to watch, but there's something about that, that we really gravitate toward and, you know, get it like, yeah. The Last of Us, right? And I, I yeah. Oh god, yeah. what a show! <laughs> you know, the, I, I think this is—it's important to realize that we're going to be struggling with this for the rest of our lives, right? That there is no single 
bill or change you can make in your life or technology that's going to come through that's going to fix all of it, right? And, and I think that's important to understand because it's easy to get paralyzed in this context to be like, ah, but it's not a utopian solution. Therefore, should we do it at all? Like electric vehicles in every single way, a dramatic improvement of your footprint on the planet in every possible dimension. Yeah. You're going to have to find a way to mine lithium in a way that does its best to respect human rights and dignity. That's a problem right. we can solve. We cannot solve anything if we don't transition out of carbon, right? We have to actually eliminate that. And so basically, like, you have to acknowledge that there's going to be struggles and implementation issues that we're going to be doing with. But I think you have to find the joy in that. Like, yeah, we're going to figure it out together. How right. cool is that? <laughs> and like, there will be conflict and there will be things that, you know, that we're going to have to still figure out. There's no one sweep of revolutionary change that's going to solve all of this. But if we get started now and we focus on the biggest, hardest parts first, then we can do the easier and easier stuff as yeah, we go. Yeah, it's a process and it's progress, not perfection, as long as we're all marching toward yeah. the same goal, which I think is something that weighs heavy on me is as communicators, it really is we are in such an important part of that solution set communicating because like, yeah. let's just face it. There's a certain segment of the population that isn't even participating and some are actively going against progress. Right. I mean, as aside from the fossil fuel companies, people, you know, just people just don't even climate change isn't real and I don't care. And how do we convince them? How do we get to them? How do we make sure we're all marching toward the same goals? So that's a, it's a big challenge that creative yeah. communications is faced with. Yeah, the, the way I look at it is like every misleading thing that anyone has ever thought about climate change begins with an agency right. working with a fossil fuel company. It all begins there. And if you're still working with them, you have to ask yourself whether or not you're coming up with the next version of climate denial. It may not be straight up denial. It may not be, you know, something that you're ashamed of now, but you know, are we going to look back and find, you know, the equivalent of, you know, the chicken little ads that were run in the eighties and nineties? Is that what right. your legacy is going to be? It all starts with the creative industry and yeah, you, you have a really powerful role to play there. And we just have, we'll have to begin somewhere. And, and the, and the prior Progress has to be the progress, not perfection is true, but the progress has to be earnest and it has to be grounded in, in data and it has to be grounded in the reality of what the biggest part of this problem is, which is fossil fuel pollution. Absolutely. Well, look, I could talk to you all day. I know you got to get going. Let everyone know how do they get a, in touch with you? How do they get in touch with clean creatives? And, you know, let's. Uh... Yeah. So my email is Duncan at fossilfree.media. You're always welcome to email me and we'll talk. If you want to sign the Clean Creatives Pledge, which is a very easy way to get started, go to cleancreatives.org. It's on the front page of the website. When you sign up, you have actually opportunities to get discounts on green 401ks and connect with other creatives who are in this fight with us. And hopefully when we can get connected to work, that's really meaningful. And so it is a really great community. It's very, it is growing and it's full of benefits. Uh, so please find cleancreatives.org. We're on Twitter, just at clean creatives and LinkedIn at clean creatives. TikTok also same. And then Instagram clean underscore creatives. Don't know who got that handle before <laughs> us, but we'd like it. Well, it's been great yeah. catching up with you, Duncan. Thank you for your time. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed this. Thank you for listening to Darts in the Dark. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please like, subscribe, and share our content. The goal of this podcast is to amplify the voices of businesses, organizations, and individuals enacting true change and impact. If you know someone you think would be a great guest on our show, please let us know. We're always looking for the next great conversation to share. Thank you. Thank you.